You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. You know, I was, I was starting to think about today, and this, this, if you've been with us for a few weeks, this is the final part of our investing series. And as I sat down to start writing it, um, I saw this, um, just out of the window, I saw this squirrel digging in our garden. And uh, honestly, I've trained the kids uh, when they see a squirrel to, to shout me. And uh, honestly, you'd, you'd think there's a, well, the house is on fire. It's like literally panic stations for these things. They literally... Um, I'm, I'm hearing them shouting. I'm like, what on earth is going on? It must be a house fire. Um, and I drop everything. What could be so urgent, so significant, and so serious? And you get there and you're like, oh, yeah, screw I've trained you that way. I've developed a dramatic gene in you. And uh, anyway, there's this squirrel digging up the garden. And um, anyway, I've never really thought about it much until maybe now. But I guess these little squirrels bury stuff and they dig it up again. And uh, I hadn't really pondered that until this week. And I found a study by the University of Richmond that estimates that a squirrel fails to recover 74% of the stuff they bury. I mean, on that ratio, (laughs) you're having a laugh, but I don't know how they work that out or how they come up with that. I'd love to be the little guy with a squirrel cam. But anyway, um, studies show that a significant a uh, number of the things that they bury are lost. Like, who knew? And as a result, they develop these pretty clever little tactics to try and bury this stuff, that, to protect the stuff that they bury. And again, scientists have observed that they create these false caches, like these little false places, um, to try and trick the thieves. And uh, if they're suspicious that somebody's going to nick their stuff, they start to bury it in even more obscure places. And... Uh, This misplacing of acorns in the process, according to scientists, as a result of so many that they lose, become often the seed of oak trees. And the studies show that actually the likelihood is they're often responsible for a huge part of planting oak forests and the regeneration. So when when the squirrels misplace them, they eventually become the seed that then becomes something way more significant. Just as we kind of come into land and finish this investing series... I guess my thought is this, so many of you have things that are lying dormant that need digging up, and sometimes it may feel easier to bury it. You know, actually, I didn't know I carried it, so I never used it, or I was hurt, so I buried it, or, you know, what we don't want to do and what we don't want to see is people have those things that they carry misplaced or robbed or buried, often... Uh, many of you will have felt what you invested maybe was wasted or robbed or undervalued over many years. And uh, what do I have to offer anyway? They're the one who can, I'm not. And uh, what if one of the acorns that you planted without you even realising actually had been part of the formation of a forest? We all eat the fruit from a tree that somebody else planted anyway. What we plant, we don't always see come to fruition but part of what I just want to do today is try and dig some of this up a little bit and dig it out or to actually for some of you get you going again or even get you going in the first place today I want to talk about investing in your calling you know if we were just to split this room into numerous conversations and we all picked which conversation we were going to go to you could almost guarantee unless I called one of them free money that you would all go towards the one not all a large majority of you want would go to the one entitled calling it would be the most 
popular because there's just something embedded in us that we're trying to work it out. We're trying to work out who we are, what we're about, and, and often therefore land on the thing that we're currently doing isn't necessarily the thing that we think maybe we could be doing or should be doing. I don't know how many of you were there, but I was listening uh, last November to uh, Putty Putman, who was speaking at Cause to Live For, and he shared how he'd given up everything for God. He was a scientist, and he'd given it all up to lean towards the thing that he's doing now. And he'd said that, and he shared that he'd given up this huge potential salary and this no guarantee of anything as a result. That wasn't really the bit that caught me. The bit that caught me was that he said, and he's never once questioned it, doubted it, or looked back. And what really caught me was that's never been my story at all. I remember giving up a job that I dearly loved, and I remember often regularly thinking, I really love that, and in many ways thinking, I really miss that. And that doesn't mean that what I went on to do wasn't right. And I remember working for this mission organization and thinking, what have I done? Like, there's some really complex needs here that need sorting out, and I've just given up that to do this. And again, it didn't mean it was wrong, it just wasn't always easy. And I remember when, when feeling called to leave that job and having taken numerous pay cuts and some of them quite significant, this next job was about to be one that was over a 10,000 pound pay reduction. And actually it wasn't the money that hit us, it was then turning up in this next job and the new thing that I was doing, walking in and a few young people that I was working with, some of them were like stashing stuff in the ceiling almost as I walked in. And I won't fully elaborate that because we've got different ages in the room, but I think you know what was going on. And another couple of throwing snooker balls literally at my head. And another couple of the lads are like swinging this snooker cue round, which was aimed for my head. And um, I kind of had this lump in my throat and I thought to myself, what have I done? I've given up everything for this. And if I'm really honest, I've often daydreamed in some of the stuff we do now in church leadership. I've daydreamed in some of the harder days when people seem to line up to throw rocks at you. And I've just pondered. I used to leave my job at work. And over 50% of my job used to be annual leave. And I was lined up with a phenomenal pension. And I'm not trying to depress you or tell you that I think I've done or am doing the wrong thing or get you to get the violin out. Not that at all. I'm also not trying to tell you that you will or you one day might have to give your job up and do something else. I'm not trying to tell you that one day you will have to or might have to as part of your calling take a significant pay cut. I'm not saying that to follow your calling and to fully live it out, you need to or will have to or one day may end up leading a church. That may not be anything like your story. That's certainly been our journey of obedience, but not necessarily yours. For many of you, though, that's not what he will ask you to do. I think the challenge, though, is he's not asking you to give up just a job and maybe your money. Actually, it's way bigger than that. I think he's asking you to give up the whole of your life and all of it. That really is your calling. So if you're wondering this morning what's your calling, I kind of want to say it's the whole of your life to be given up for him.
we won't always live like that because we don't always realize that. But giving something up is not only just being obedient to what he asks, but I think it also refines you in many ways because it focuses you because you want to make it count. I'm going to make this sacrifice count and I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to be half-hearted about it. I'm up for it and I'm all in for it. I think I'm just going to refer to a number of passages in the Bible. I'm not going to read them from my Bible because I'm going to whiz around a bit, but they are in there and I'd encourage you to look at them maybe in your own time. But Matthew 4 verse 19 says this, Jesus called out to them, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Their nets representing their livelihoods, their way of living, their way of making money, their identity, all that they'd built up in their past they were leaving. Matthew 4, verse 19, a little further up the shore. He saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, great name, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind not just their way of life but also their father's way of life and the time that they would get to spend in close proximity to their father Luke 14 verse 33 so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own not just something but everything you can't do this thing without giving up everything Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Giving up your life for his sake. Mark 8, 34, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Kind of the same thing in one of the different gospels. It's the same thing, giving it all up. Mark 10, 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Every obstacle, every stumbling block, everything we think, everything we make of value needed to go. 1 Timothy 6, 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. No security in the things that we naturally place our security in, but giving up everything to trust him. Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Above all else, it's him and his kingdom in front of and before anything or everyone else. Mark 12, 44, Jesus sat down in the collection box in the temple and he watched as the, as the crowds dropped in their money, men, rich people put in large amounts, then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. 
Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I tell you the truth, this widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions. For, she, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Not just the surplus, but everything. Everything she had to live on. All her needs, all her dependency, now all on him rather than on her. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, you know the gracious, sorry, the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich yet for our sake, became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Choosing a completely different way of life. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field in his excitement. He hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Jesus tells the parable of the pearl merchant. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. When we see Jesus, we aren't giving something up. We aren't just giving everything up out of pain, but out of joy, because he's worth it all. John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God modeled to us and demonstrated to us the giving up of everything, even his son, that we might give up everything to follow him through his son. I don't know about you, But does this feel a bit costly? Does this start to feel just a little bit uncomfortable? Luke 17, verse 10, we looked at it last week. In the same way, when you obey me, you should just say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Is it even a cost or is it actually just our duty of our understanding of following him? Another layer of, oh, man. Does this feel a bit costly and a bit uncomfortable? I love then how we find Matthew 19, 27. Peter said to him, you can probably interpret this in your own words and the own manner in which he said it, but Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Does this feel a bit costly and a bit uncomfortable because I think it's maybe helpful to stand in Peter's shoes and I kind of love that he was often the one to ask these questions because he's kind of feeling the pinch here I don't know if you are you maybe didn't expect this this morning but as I was even thinking about this I was feeling the pinch and you get that hang on a minute Jesus cost 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 maybe you filter it in the way Peter did what's the benefit what's the return and Jesus replies I assure you that when the world is made anew and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and anyone who was giving up houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or poverty for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many are those who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. You will receive a hundred times 
as much in return and inherit eternal life. We receive something of Jesus when we get out of the way and just take him. When we stop thinking we can or we build it or we control it, it starts to just become him. Luke 12, 34, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. Where and how are we investing? Because he rewards investment. John 12, 23, Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But in its death will produce many new kernels and a plentiful harvest of new lives. So those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing of their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honour anyone who serves me. If, if you want to serve him, you have to follow him and to follow him, you have to follow the things that he's about. You can't pick it up until you give it up. When I die, he can live in me and through me. All the time I'm trying to do my thing, we're just wrestling. You can't pick it up till you give it up. I didn't give up when I left jobs. That wasn't the thing. I'm learning to give it up every day, in every way. He doesn't want some of it, and he doesn't want some of you. He wants all of it, and he wants all of you. He doesn't just want part, and he doesn't want just the part that you're willing to give. He wants all of it. Heart, attitude, obedience, hobbies, <clears throat> or not, not the hobbies. Why does he have to come for the hobbies? <laughs> career plan, or not the career plan. Why does he have to come for the career plan? He wants it all because he gave it all to you. And he just wants you to live like you're stewarding his thing rather than running your thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God brought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Oh yeah, your body is not yours. Tell that to yourself when your mind starts to wander where it shouldn't. I'm just a temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I go one step further? Romans 12, verse 1. Not Romans 12, verse 1. Honestly, it's another step. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way of worship. Don't copy the behaviors and the custom of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we step into obedience, when we step into giving it all, when we step into saying, hey, God, I acknowledge none of this is mine. All of this is yours. How do you want to use me and form me for your glory? That's when we start to learn and realize and discover and dig up what has been buried by life and by the squirrel. That's when you learn to know God's good will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I guess on the one hand, you could say, well, all of that, yes, it's hard, but I'm willing. What do I actually do? 
What was what my calling look like? What do I do? Well, I, I kind of want to make one suggestion to you, and it's this. Just say yes to him. Follow and say yes to what you do know, because one yes will lead to the next. You don't need to know the final yes, because there won't be a final one, because that's how the kingdom works. Everything it's cost you so far, you have to give again to go the, to the next step. Everything so far will just amount to another yes and another yes. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, I use it quite a lot, so you may have, you can't turn a parked car. The reality is, I thought about that, you can actually turn a parked car. Um, I've done it. You stick a couple of shovels under the front wheels and you get a few people on the side and you push as hard as you jolly can and you shift the thing. Um, I, some of you need to log that just as a bit of useless information that you may one day need. I love drama. If you need me to move a parked car for some reason, I am available. But the principle is this. Turning a, a parked car is actually really hard. Turning a moving car, it's easy to shape and to shift the direction. Some of the yes is just really to get you moving. Once you're moving... Those around you will start to shape you. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit, which is God's change agent, will start to change you. The yes just provides an access point and an activation point for the work of the Spirit to do his thing. So just say yes would be my best advice. John 12, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants will be and must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. We've just got to be where he is. Well, where is he? Well, he's doing the things that he's about, which is always Christ, his church, his cause, which is front and center every time. And he makes part of that serving, serving, and serving. Always makes me laugh when I read Luke 2, 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done to this? Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search for me? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Mary was having to learn to release her son to do the thing that he was about. We don't always find it easy, do we, to give things up. I started this project. I was influential in this. I was the one who did this. We have to learn to give stuff up and simply hold out just another set of loaves and fish and see what the Father might want to do with them. We have an incredible moment, I believe, to die to ourselves in society right now and to invest in the thing that we're called to. I remember very well the fire strikes of 2002 and 2003. I lost the place that I was living. I couldn't afford the rent. That moment brought a significant redirection in my life. <clears throat> What was interesting, though, is so many thought those strikes would bring about significant change, a change to pay, a change to working conditions, a change to what many would argue would have been years of underinvestment. I'm not in any way trying to make a political statement, but it probably just brought the pay in line to years of underinvestment. But that happy-to-return-to-work moment that many thought and dreamed of never happened Conditions changed, working relationships changed, employer-employee relationships and dynamics changed. Many, I'd say, not for the better. There was a misunderstanding, there was a frustration, there was almost like a work-to-rule mentality, do the minimum, do only what you have to. 
It harmed a number of relationships. Many people thought the employer this, the government this, the injustice this. Lasted for many years, for many that had been around the block, I don't think it ever really recovered. And as we stand in a moment and a time of social unrest and political instability and financial anxiety and relational misfiring and unrelenting crisis to crisis to crisis, I think we get to turn up and invest something so different to anything that we find anywhere else. Galatians 2 verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we get to not only do that, but to be that and live that out and to put that on display in the places where there is currently no hope. We offer hope in the places where there's nothing but anxiety. We get to bring in and usher in the Prince of Peace. And he's all things to all people. Jesus is all we need and he's all we can offer. And we get to be the people that get to live that out. I heard it once said, and some may find this cheesy, but I love stuff like this. Just the understanding that Jesus is all things to all people. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he's the life. To the builder, he's the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the engineer, he's the living and new way. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of all ages. You go on and on and on and on. But that's not necessarily the point. The point is, in him, we find everything. And he's relevant to all. And as we lay down us, we take up him. What a moment we have in society. I'm excited for what it is. I wouldn't have chosen it. Galatians 2 verse 20, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I love that we get to meet in a school. I love that it means we get to get here early and do a load of stuff to make church happen and put out a load of chairs and move a load of tables. And we're changed as we serve and we're changed as we facilitate church. I love that there's a massive kids team that week in, week out, serve the kids and show them Jesus in an age-appropriate way because as we serve and we serve them, we're changed and we become more like him. I love the of 422, there's these ever-increasing ways to be involved and serve and serve and serve. And I love that in your workplace and in your home and in your family, on your street, you get to be the light and the life of Jesus and we, that we get to wash people's feet because in doing so, you're becoming more like him, but you're serving him. See, so often I think we're waiting for the thing I need this thing. I need this amount of time. I need this personality test. I need this training. I need this equipping to live out my calling. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to undervalue or underestimate all of that, but I'm not actually sure we always do. I think the thing that we often just need to realize is we get to say yes. And by saying yes, we start to move. And when we start to move, he shapes us as we go and when we lay it all down the thing we find 
is actually the thing that we should have probably found in the first place. Matthew 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, sold everything he owned and he bought it. We get distracted by all the stuff, all the things, all the needs. It used to be like this. In my heyday, it was like this. What, what, what about right now? We lay it all down again. And when we've laid it all down, we just lay it all down again. And then we lay it all down again. And we just keep saying, Lord, however you want. I don't know if you've ever had the joy and the privilege and the challenge of trying to get a young child into a car seat when they don't want to get in it. Man alive, like... I, I have no idea how they do it. At a certain age, this thing just kicks in and they arch their back and their legs become immovable and solid and whatever you want to do ain't, ain't going to happen and they are not going in. I just, as I was pondering that picture this week, I just don't want to be like that before the Lord. We need to have a posture of just really being a puppet in God's hands where he can move us wherever we want because lord i'm not looking for my time i'm not looking for my way for my calling for my significance i'm looking for your glory for me to give of myself to give everything to be putty in your hands use me send me i'm here and i say yes to the thing that's in front of me i shared i think a few weeks ago that a boiler was playing up and it took six different repair guys and over many many visits and the saga started way before christmas the sixth guy that came the sixth one was the guy that was open to a conversation about jesus if i hadn't have had the other five i don't know if i'd have got the conversation with the sixth what if the moment you're in and the unique life stage and the circumstances and the family dynamic and the employment or the unemployment or the street or the neighborhood Whatever it is, what if that actually is part of your calling and part of your mandate and part of the gift and the opportunity that God has given you to invest and to serve and to steward and to be faithful with your life? I say your life, actually, ultimately, his life through you. The Ephesians 4.1, we would beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called. It's not if you're called, when you're called, you might be called. You already have been called. Sometimes I think it's just our understanding of living that out in the here and now. Why don't we stand together? Just, just, as we, just as we wait on the Lord, I just, um, you might want to close your eyes. I just want to encourage you not to necessarily even look around this morning and see who else is in the room. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I just have this strong sense that particularly for the younger people, I wish somebody had told me what I know now when I was younger that the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes on us and transforms us and changes us.
probably not even an age thing, it's probably an everybody thing. Lord, we invite you through the power of your Spirit. We're just the clay, you're the potter. Just don't don't disengage from what the Lord is doing because you can you can see and sense that there's a remarkable posture and surrender that is most tangibly happening to many of you now. Lord, we ask for all of it. Some of you, this is going to mean something quite significant. You will go, as Jesus said often to his disciples, go and live differently. Some of you will go and live differently. So the thing that he's doing and birthing in you now. Some of you, I think... um, even for the first time you'll want to surrender your life to Jesus hand it over to him Lord I turn from who I was and the way I was living I ask you to forgive me and now I invite you for the power of your spirit to come and live in me and help me to live for you for the rest of my days it's an active moment and decision for some of you this morning that's a prayer you pray I just encourage you to share that with somebody this morning we want to pray too this morning for faith for new beginnings I love how God is always speaking and moving and drawing connections even before we know um what the talk's going to be on or what the Holy Spirit's going to do in ministry. And someone came to me at the end of worship and said, we need to pray for faith for new beginnings. Some of you will have voluntary new beginnings that you're, you're facing, others involuntary ones, things that you are unexpectedly about to step into. And we want to pray for faith for you. Faith for new beginnings. Whether they're new beginnings that you wanted or not. 
but that we have a hope in a God who works all things together for our good and he calls us to follow him. And so for any of you that resonate with that, Mm. we want to pray for you. We want to ask for faith for you, for an increase of faith for your new beginnings. So why don't you just start coming out of your rows while everyone's standing. It's quite a good opportunity to slip out of your rows, come to the front. If any of those things resonate or indeed anything else that you'd like to be prayed for this morning. And if you're in a small group in the life of the church, why don't you come and join Join these people? Come and pray for them. Come and partner with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Come and just watch and see what, what he's up to. Be amazed. Be captivated, captivated by the person mm. of Jesus. He's here. The Holy Spirit is here. We never want to hype anything or manipulate anything. Absolutely not. But I, I still think there are a number of you that just know, you know you need to respond. You need prayer this morning. Don't hold back. Nothing awful or scary is going to happen to you. But you may just encounter the living God. And that can only be a good thing. And I'll tell you what, that there is, there is a grace when we say yes. There is a storehouse, a heavenly storehouse that the Lord longs to, to pour out, to deposit in us. So if you have yeses that you are yet to make or have made, there will be a grace for it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.